0: Now, we're going to read together the Word of God in 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we will read at verse 1. And it's so good to see you gathered with us this evening. It's such an encouragement to have your presence, and we do appreciate you being here on such a cold uh, winter's night. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And we'll end our reading there at the verse 10. And may the Lord follow with His own blessing the public reading of His Word. Let us unite our hearts again before the Lord, seeking especially the Lord's hand to be upon us in the remainder of this service. Our loving Father, we know that Thou art merciful and gracious. Thou hast magnified Thy mercy in delivering Thy people— from going down to the pit. How we praise Thee that judgment is Thy strange work. Thou dost delight in mercy. And we pray that this evening, as the gospel is proclaimed, and as we seek to tell the story of Thy tender and great mercy to me, Lord, we pray in all things Thy name will be magnified, and precious souls will stand in the way and see wherein is the good way, wherein they shall find rest, eternal rest, for their souls. We know, Lord, that thine arm is not shortened, that it cannot save. Thou art still able and willing to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Thee. So, Lord, do this work, this miracle of salvation in the lives of others this very evening. We ask it in the Savior's worthy name. Amen. Now, as you may know, we have traveled quite a distance to be with you over these several Lord's Days in this congregation. And I felt it would not be appropriate for neither my wife nor myself to come all of these miles and not tell you something of the Lord's mercy and His grace in saving our souls. The psalmist in Psalm 107 and verse 2, he says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And it's always good for the child of God to repeat their their testimony. Now, I'm the youngest of five boys. We were born on the family farm in a mountainous area of County Down in Northern Ireland. I was born on the 16th of August in the year 1952. So don't be reckoning your brains. I am 70 years of age. Just celebrated my 70th birthday. Now, the farm that we were raised on, being a mountainous area, was mainly sheep. We did have some cattle, a few pigs, and a few hens. But it is designated, the general area is designated as an area of outstanding natural beauty. It is a picturesque area. But I must say that the winter months were often challenging. We had heavy, heavy snowfalls. I remember in 1963 that our roadway was completely cut off for three weeks. No vehicle moved on our road. It took a bulldozer to clear the road. Such was the depth of the snow. It was level with the hedges. A man said, I could shovel some snow if I had somewhere to put it. There was so much around. He had nowhere to shovel it to. So, living in that rural area, we had a very simple way of life. We did not have much of this world's goods. My father worked hard, and he grew a lot of vegetables to make sure that his five boys were fed each day. But spring and summer, I would say, were the most interesting uh, periods of the year. For in springtime, there were lots of lambs being born. And I remember rushing home from school to see how many new lambs had arrived. And there was so much work to do with the sheep and the lambs. It was really a wonderful experience. And another prime time of the year was the summer months, where we made hay while the sun shone, and that was usually in July and August. And so, it was a lovely setting. It's a cherished memory of mine being in the meadow and having our mother bring the picnic to the meadow, and we would sit down there on the ground and have a, a lovely meal and a rest from making the hay. So that was a very favored upbringing that I had, a wonderful upbringing. And I can add that my mother became a Christian when I was four years of age. And that made a change in our home. I was sent to Sunday school on a Sunday afternoon. We would walk the country road a few miles to the Sunday school and a few miles back. And there we learned the child's catechism. I heard of the Savior and of his death and of my need to be saved. For I, like all boys and girls, was born a sinner. Monthly services were attached to that Sunday school, and usually faithful preachers brought the message of God's salvation in that monthly service. And so I I cannot remember a time when I did not know that there was such a book as the Bible, and I did not know that I was in need of the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Our immediate area was mostly Roman Catholic, and through the years, a few Protestant families, they sent their children for their elementary learning to that local Roman Catholic school. And when the priest would instruct the children, we were excused. We were given free time. And I understand that it has been said by the locals, our school, our Roman Catholic school, never produced a priest but it has been said in the community it did produce a free Presbyterian minister. Now, a short distance from our locality, in another direction, there was a strong gospel influence. And I clearly remember to this evening being over at my auntie's home And men were building a portable hall in her field. The purpose, to hold a gospel mission for two, or perhaps it was three weeks. And we were able to get along, we were taken along to those meetings, and the gospel was faithfully, simply, powerfully preached and it made a great impression. I was hearing what I needed to hear, but I turned away from those meetings still without the Lord. I was privileged to attend other services also, some conducted by my cousin, the Reverend David Crawford. Now, David, as a young man, he sadly contacted polio, and it left him immobile. He had a specially adopted car, and he felt he became a Christian, and he felt led to train for the Presbyterian ministry. And he did succeed uh, in his training, though he had that disability. He had a specially adopted car to take him from A to B. And a horrific accident left him seriously paralyzed. Indeed, his life hung in the balance. And he, his legs were amputated. He did not have the use of uh, full use of other arm. And so he was propped up in a rectangular box when he came to preach. It was a pram-type box. Propped up there, despite all his disabilities, with strong, clear voice, he preached Christ. And I sat and heard him preach Christ. In the mid-60s, Dr. Paisley's name was becoming more prominent in Northern Ireland, and he came to preach in our local Orange Hall every July for successive years. By this stage, I was maybe 12 or 13 years of age, and there I was sitting in an absolutely packed hall, sitting before this huge preacher, preaching out the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I have to say, having told you all of this, that I had a goodly heritage. I was so privileged above many, my lines were drawn in pleasant places spiritually speaking. I knew my need. Oh, I hadn't committed any grievous sins. I hadn't stolen from someone else. No swear word crossed these lips of mine. I tried my best to obey my parents, but I fell short of God's law. The Lord summarized the Ten Commandments for us in Matthew chapter 22. He summed up the teaching of the commandments in these few words. Matthew 22 and verse 37, "'Thou shalt love the Lord thy God "'with all thy heart, with all thy soul, "'and with all thy mind.'" Now, before this standard, I fell short. For I could not say from my earliest moments that I had loved the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. No, I was a transgressor of the law of God. I may have walked the clean side of the broad road, but I was on that broad road that was taking me to hell, and I knew my need so often. I was convicted of my sin. The Spirit of God strove with me time and again, but I kept putting off the matter of my soul's salvation. And I had no peace. I had no assurance. I had no confidence for the great eternity. No hope To gain employment as an apprentice carpenter, I moved to live in Belfast in 1969. That was the year the Martyrs Memorial Church was opened. It was opened on the 4th of of October that year. And I was very interested in seeing this magnificent new building and so I went along on the first Monday night, the 6th. And as Dr. Bob Jones from the U.S. preached the gospel, the Lord dealt with me in his great mercy. And that night I can say that the Lord drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. I can say with the psalmist, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And I know from my experience that it is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Lord Jesus said Isaac Watts, How glorious is thy grace! When in thy name we trust, we receive a righteousness that makes the sinner just. And that's what I received that night in the meeting. Divine righteousness, our righteousness that in the all-seeing eye made me just. That was the beginning of my Christian experience. I was seventeen years of age. I continued to attend the Martyrs Memorial and soon became convinced of the separated stand of the Free Presbyterian Church against ecumenism. And after a time, I became a communicant member. I got involved in the life of the church, and that's a good thing. It's good to become involved, to be a part of the work. I attended the prayer meeting. I enlisted for the door-to-door work and the outreach, the Young People's Fellowship where I met my wife. She was part of a team, the Truth For Youth team, that won the quiz, the Truth For Youth quiz. So I knew that there was a little bit of gray matter between her ears, and that the Scriptures were dwelling there richly. And that's what drew me. And in the early 70s, a group known as the Martyrs Memorial Mail Witness was formed. These were were men who would take meetings, conduct gospel meetings, sing. That didn't include me. I didn't do any singing. They would sing, testify, and preach. And I joined up in the Mail Witness And eventually, opportunities came for me to give my testimony, and as the years went by to preach a little, and I didn't realize at the time but the male witness was a training ground, a training ground for my future and for the future of many of its members because many of those men, young men, became ministers in the church. In the martyr's church, there was a constant challenge for young people to give themselves to the Lord's service full time. And I felt that challenge ever so keenly. I realized I was not my own, that the Lord had purchased me with his own blood and had called me to to be one of his children to serve him. But then I looked at myself, and I concluded, how could the Lord use someone like me? Like Jeremiah, I said, I cannot speak. I am but a child. I have to say that I left school with no qualifications. I had one low-level English certificate to my name. You see, I had childhood asthma, which meant a lot of absenteeism from school, and my learning suffered greatly. My school reports every year did not make great reading. And so I said to myself, how could I ever be in the ministry? Then the Lord does take up the base things, and the things which are despised, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. And this battle within me, it lasted for several years. The burden to serve the Lord in the ministry intensified. And the Spurgeon said, The man called to preach cannot help it. He must preach. And that's the place that the Lord closed me into the place where I must give myself to His service. I went to night class, and I obtained there the qualifications to enter the theological hall in September 79. And after the first year of study in those times, a student minister was placed in a congregation. And that was a, quite a challenge, for you were preparing for each Lord's Day, and coupled with that, you were studying in the college. Quite a challenge. But over 38 years, I have been privileged to serve the Lord in three congregations, two of which had Christian schools. The Lord has blessed us with three children, one boy, two girls. And we had the great privilege of having our children brought up in Christian schools. And under the grace of God and His mercy, they came to the knowledge of their parents' Saviour. And I think of our province tonight. I think of a land that is fast departing from its gospel heritage. It is becoming so secular, so sinful, so wicked, so hardened against the gospel. And where did this spirit take root? It took root in the school system, for in the school system there is an ecumenical, an ecumenical input, an ecumenical religious curriculum, and the hearts of our children in Northern Ireland have been stolen, stolen away from the faith of their fathers. And I ask you to pray that the Lord will have mercy upon us in the land and revive His work as in former times. And so, through all of these 38 years, I have been privileged to meet with choice saints, choice believers in these three congregations, and they have helped and encourage me in the work of the Lord. My wife has been a true helpmate, always a help and never a hindrance. And so, I can say of the Lord, 53 years walking with Him, I can say, He's the good master. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I can testify the truth spoken here in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. The Lord is my all in all. He is all that I desire, and more besides. How about yourself? What does the Lord mean to you? Is He precious in your heart? The young man in the Gospels, he preferred his money before Christ. Judas, he placed more value on thirty pieces of silver than he did on the Savior. Oh, that every unconverted soul would see in the Lord the pearl of great price and believe, trust in him, in his saving grace, and then he will be precious to you. The Lord is precious to all who believe, First of all, in his person, the bride in the Song of Solomon, she was taunted by the daughters of Jerusalem with the question, "'What is thy beloved more than another beloved?' And having given in response a full portrait of his glorious person, She comes to the great conclusion, yea, he is altogether lovely. Here in 1 Peter 2 verse 6, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, where the Father says of the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect Precious. Do you see how precious the Lord is to the Father? He is as one brought up with Him, daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him. Three times the voice was heard from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John 3 and verse 35 explains that the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. The work of creation was put into the Lord's hand. Without Him was not anything made that was made. The Lord had but to speak the word, and the world was created, but above all, the work of redemption was put in the Lord's hand. The shorter catechism says the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man and so was, and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures— and one person forever. Ah, there is none like Christ, God of very God, and man of very man. In Isaiah chapter 47 and the verse 4, here's what we read. Isaiah 47 and the verse 4. As, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Oh, there's none like him. How precious he is in his person. Paul often give his testimony. And in Philippians chapter 3 and the verse 8, all can say i count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that i may win christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law or of works, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Oh, Paul could see the preciousness of the man, Christ Jesus, the sin-bearing one. Is he precious in his person to you? Then we can say that he is precious in his passion— First John chapter 4 and verse 10, John says here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation has the thought in it of the turning away of God's wrath against sin by means of atonement. Many tonight seek to explain away the wrath of God. But His wrath is as much a divine perfection as is His faithfulness, His power, His grace, mercy, and love. How can God, who is all-righteous and holy, Look with equal delight on virtue and vice, William, wisdom and folly. John the Baptist, with trumpet blast, he warned his hearers to flee from the wrath to come. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade. Men, here is the sobering reality: God's wrath abides on us in our sin. I trembled in the years of my sinnership, lest I should be cut off in my procrastination. God is angry with the wicked. Every day. How can his righteous anger be turned away? Only by a work of propitiation, only by an atoning sacrifice. The writer said the wrath of God that was our due upon the Lamb was laid, and by the shedding of his blood, the debt. For us was paid. Hebrews 9 and verse 26 tells us, But now hath the Lord appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Your sin, it's in your account. It stands against your name. But here's the good news because Christ has borne the sin of the many to the cross, all who repent, who flee to Him, He will put away their sin. Oh, how precious the Lord is in His passion, in His Calvary love. When the murdered Covenanter's head was carried by the soldier to the poor, poor, broken-hearted widow. That soldier cruelly asked the widow what she thought of her husband's face now. She said that he never looked fairer when he lived than he did now that he had given up his life for Christ's crown and covenant. And the Lord never looks fairer as when we view Him in all the agony of His His Calvary, Calvary love. I love the Lord because He first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love the Lord for wearing the crown of thorns on His brow. If ever I loved Him, it is now. Is your heart in love with Christ? Is He precious to you because of His infinite love that took Him all the way? Calvary's tree. He is precious to those who believe in his passion and in his person, and lastly, in his pardon. The scribes raised the question, Who can forgive sins but God only? The Lord, being God of very God, Having endured the cross, having paid the price of sin with his own blood, he has power on earth to pardon sin. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7 speaks of the Lord in this way let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our god for he will abundantly pardon did you hear the scripture there he will abundantly pardon he's the god Of pardons. Away back in 1862, George Wilson, in Pennsylvania, he was sentenced to be hanged for murder. Hearing of his case, President Jackson decided to pardon him. However, refusing it, Wilson insisted. It was not a pardon until he accepted it. That point of law, having never been raised before, the president called the Supreme Court to decide the issue. The chief justice ruled, A pardon is a paper, the value of which depends on its acceptance By the person indicated. The Chief Justice went on, it is unlikely that one under sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon. But if refused, it is no pardon. Summing up the case, he added, George Wilson must hanged! He refused the pardon. By our Savior's death, he has purchased a full and a free pardon in order to receive it, to escape the guilt of your sin, to escape the wrath to come, You must receive the gospel pardon through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. David cried in Psalm 25 and verse 11, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity. There's the source of, of the gospel pardon. It's in Christ. It's not in the church. It's not in any priest or minister. It's in Christ. The believers in Ephesus were reminded of that in in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That was the only way that they were pardoned souls. For Christ's sake, their sins were blotted out. Through the merit of His all-atoning blood, their sins were erased from their, their account. And the Lord can so deal with your sins tonight that they will be remembered no more. They can be blotted out like a thick cloud. Oh, have faith, saving faith in Christ. And then it will be true of you unto those who believe. He. The Lord is precious. Fifty-three years after conversion, I still say, The Lord is precious. I say with Newton, If asked what of Jesus I think, Though still my best thoughts are but pure, I'll say He's my meat and my drink, my life and my strength and my store, my trust and my friend, my Savior from sin and from thrall, my hope from beginning to end, my portion, my Lord, and my all. God forbid that the Lord should be as nothing to you as you leave this service this evening. May you turn and seek the Savior, and it will then be well with you. May the Lord bless His Word to each of our hearts. Let us bow together in prayer as we close. Our loving Father, how we thank Thee for the glorious gospel. We know that when we were yet without strength, when we were so helpless in our sin, Christ died for we, the ungodly. And how we praise Thee that on the cross our sins we're made to meet on Him. Lord, Thou wast wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Thee, and with Thy stripes we are healed. Lord, there are souls broken with sin, broken hearts, hearts full of sin, listening to Thy Word this night. O, we pray that Thou wilt stretch forth Thy saving arm and pluck them as brands from the burning. We know, Lord, that Thou didst say, Whosoever shall call upon Thy name shall be saved. O, we pray that none will harden their heart, turn away their ears from hearing, We pray, Lord, that this night there will be rejoicing on earth and joy in heaven over other souls forgiven, other names written in the Lamb's book of life. Help us who are thine to look upon thee, whom our sins pierced, and say, Precious to me, Precious to me to me, my Redeemer. Lord, part us in thy fear, and with thy blessing, we ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen.